This episode is brought to you by Afterlater Audio and their Heritage line, three new modular synthesizers designed by Afterlater. There's the Bosque Oscillator, which is a triangle core oscillator that is based on the same CEM3340 chipset used in legendary synths such as the SH101, Prophet 5, and Memory Moog. Another cool feature on the Bosque is uh, it has an LFO mode, so it'll flip of a switch and your oscillator becomes an LFO. And then there's the Envy, the ADSR style envelope generator based on the CEM3340. 3310 chipset found in many classic synthesizers such as the Pro 1, Profit 5, and Memory Moog. What I really love about this is there are two extra outputs. You have an end of attack delayed trigger and an end of release delayed trigger. So those are very, very fun and useful. And then finally, the Filthy, which is a multi-mode filter uh, offering low pass, band pass, high pass, and notch uh, simultaneously in uh, four different outputs. Cutoff and resonance are both controllable via knobs and via CV and puts with attenuators. All of these are 6 HP and very affordably priced. And everything that you hear behind me was made with two Bosques, two Envies, and two Filthies, and uh, with a little help from uh, from our friends at All Right Devices, Expert Sleepers, and Music Thing Modular for some delay and reverb. And then the sequence is coming from a Turing machine, uh, which is going through an ornament in crime for quantization. Go to afterlateraudio.com to learn more about the Heritage Line. fire wait for the drop seriously ah uh, <laughs> welcome to podular modcast my name is tim held the year is 2020 and the guest today is banna hafar and i thought i'd lost her audio but luckily she didn't delete it and she sent it to me again thank you banna and thank you for being on the show and while we're talking about banna go over to div kids youtube page and uh check out um the live set that Ben Hafar played at Velocity. Uh, ben just uploaded that. So now you can see what I've been ranting and raving about for the past four or five months. Uh, also, while we're speaking of DivKid, I would like you to go and check out uh, him and Ed Ball's podcast called Esoteric Modulation. Great podcast. Um, and while we're talking about my friend's podcast, I would also like you to go check out Source of Uncertainty with my buddies Kyle and Robert. It's a Bukla podcast. I'm sure you all know about all these podcasts, but in the event that you don't, you heard it here on PodMod. There are other modular podcasts out there. There's Dotwave. John O'Wells from San Diego's got a podcast called Dotwave. It's one word, D-O-T-W-A-V-E. So that's pretty cool. And of course, there's the Mylar show, um, Mylar, Men- My- Mylar Melodies, Why We Bleep. And there's uh, Darwin Gross, Art Music Technology. I, uh, Corey Luna, North Beats Podcast. I think that's only on iTunes, though. I've had a p- few people ask me, like, what is this podcast you're talking about? Um, but if you look up North Beats Podcast, it's, you'll find it somewhere. Anyways, I just went on. Uh, well, that wasn't planned. I just kind of went on a little rant, rant there. But I figured I'd show some podcast love. Speaking of podcast love... A lot of PodMod bods came out of the woodwork the last few weeks. Um, I, I broke a weekly download record. Well, I shouldn't say I, I should say we, as in me, you out there listening, and Alex Anderson from WMD. And I will say that uh, looking at this week's numbers, I'm, you know, we're only three days in as of the recording of this, but it looks like Tom Whitwell's episode is about to be a contender with that. So I hope that means just more of you out there are listening. Um, it's funny though, what the brain does, the, this, like the amount of people that listened to the Alex Anderson episode within a span of seven days was like my, it was like the first big milestone that I wanted to reach when I started the podcast. If I get there, that's when I know I have a real podcast. And now that it's there, 
you know, my wife's like, wow, that's great. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. But you know, you know, really it's, it's just kind of knocking on the door and it's just like, just negating it. I don't know what's, what's up with that. And maybe this is a little gauche to talk about. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this comes across as douchey. I, I, I really am mostly just sharing it, um, out of one excitement and two gratitude to you listening. Uh, and just letting you know that, uh, I notice these things, and uh, it just means a lot to have uh, everybody out there jump on board. So thank you all for listening to the show, and thank you to the guests for coming on, of course, because without them, there wouldn't be this show. It'd just be me rambling into a microphone. And speaking of rambling into a microphone, um, I've been doing a lot of live streams on Instagram where I'm just uh, just patching stuff up, and most... and, and as I've uh, talked about my Patreon before, there's a tier where you can go in and uh, sign up and give me an adjective and noun for my own patch challenge. And what I used to do is just do a little Instagram like video, like a minute-long video, and then do like a couple-minute performance and send you that WAV file. Well, I think I'll still do all those things, but I think in addition, um, when possible, I will be doing live streams of those live patches. So if you want to go and sign up on Patreon, and give me some adjectives and nouns that would be great because uh I, i'm relying this this show this show is basically funded by patreon and patreon partially funds my uh my daily existence um i'm living my dream but i'm scraping by uh we just had our annual snowmageddon here in seattle and i teach at a school and of course schools like to cancel class when it's snowing and it's snowing so class is canceled I don't get paid. Boo hoo. That's my sad sob story. And if you would like to help me dry up my tears with your dollar bills, go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast to help out. I also want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out to me um, regarding my little uh, my little depression monologue at the end of last week's episode. Um, thank you for reaching out to me. Uh, I've actually, I'll tell you what I did, what I'm doing. Um, if, if I haven't responded to your email yet, I'm sorry, but I plan on it. Um, so there's that. But just know that every email that I've got regarding that, I have screenshot and I'm going to put it in a special folder for when I'm feeling extra down um, because a lot of you said some really nice things. Um, so yeah, also in on, on that topic, the weird, I mean, it was so weird, even, even as I was doing the monologue thing last week I mentioned that it was starting to make me feel better that was over a week ago that I did that as I'm recording this now and uh yeah I, I haven't had a really bad day since and and I think just t- even if I hadn't recorded it and sent it out I think just talking about it just saying how you feel out loud and maybe no one even has to hear it helps I don't know so uh I'll always be studying what makes it stop and sharing my findings with you. And I encourage you to do the same. I also want to thank Patchworks, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, our local sense shop here in Seattle. They help keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, and they have an excellent online store if you'd like to go check that out. Um, Also, my new album, Music to Come Down To, still available on tape at flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com. Um, I love, I'm, I'm just very proud of it. I love that album and I love that people are enjoying it. So, uh, go check out flagdayrecordings.bandcamp.com to learn more about that. I know I'm going a little rambly right now. Um, and we want to get to this chat with Ben Hafar. I promise it's very close, but I just also want to say that, um, I'm, I'm kind of, tr- I'm starting to beef up the YouTube page and, uh, those live streams that I mentioned earlier when, when possible, I'm going to be loading those up. And when it's worth it, if it's a good one, um, loading those onto YouTube. So yeah, if you want to go and, and check out my YouTube page, I'm just uh, trying to get more action going on over there. I did a, a, a pretty pretty nice introduction video to the Zoya from Empress Effects. And also, did you see that Empress Effects announced like a modular version of Zoya? So I'll be telling you all about that soon. What else is there? I don't really know what else there is much else blogs. Um, uh, I smell toast. Just kidding. I'm not having a stroke. Let's talk to Ban Hafar.
<laughs> so, we've had you on before, but we haven't had you on as the, the focal point, which I'm really excited to get to know Bana Hafar. Um, so, let's just start. Where'd you grow up? Um, I was born in Saudi Arabia. Born and in Saudi Arabia. I kind of grew up in the Middle East. Um, so uh, kind of uh, grew up in the Gulf, in the Gulf region. So between Saudi and Jordan and Oman and Dubai. So that's kind of where I spent most of my childhood. I did not yeah. know that. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Not Are from you, these parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, military? It would sound like you moved around a lot. Were your parents military or scientists uh, or something? Uh, my father worked with the Nestle. Unfortunately, it's a oh, really? terrible company. I do not agree with their politics. He doesn't work with them anymore, but that's okay, that's good. what he did. Yeah, okay. unfortunately. So, how old were? Did music find you before you came here, or did you move here and find music? How? I guess, yeah. How did that work out? I uh, I started playing violin when I was uh, a child, and then well, I started with piano, then transitioned to violin, then uh, transitioned to bass in high school and then uh, I played bass for yeah about a, about a decade and only recently transitioned to synthesizers. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought yeah. that did you study bass in college or something? I or, did. Yeah, where did you go? I did. Um, so I studied in France for a year and then I um, I came uh, to uh, uh, sorry, I went to LA for 2 years I went to Musicians Institute. Okay. Yeah. So, um, when did you come to the States then? I came to the States, um, in 2007, I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what was growing up like, um, you know, in the Middle East and then moving here, especially around that time, that seems like maybe, um, I mean, it seems like once like 2000 hit, it might, it might've been an almost, uh, well, not almost. It might have been an uncomfortable time to be from uh, the Middle East and being in the United States. Um, I mean, I think I think the cultural gap is so huge anyway that um, I, I, I think pre or post nine eleven, it's a, you know, it's yeah. Uh, I'm still I'm still getting used to the states. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will you grow up speaking English because yeah. you have zero accent? I think that's what yeah. surprised me about I didn't know you that you grew up somewhere else. Well, I had a, I had a British accent when I was a kid. I went to like English like British schools, and can then, you still do and then it? transition. I can do it a little bit, but, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm not gonna yeah a little bit, but um, yeah. Then transition to the American school, and that they just canceled each other out. It was like phase cancellation of accents <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, I know some people like a buddy of mine, Milo's, uh, he, he was born in Ireland. He's only like 22 or something like that. Um, but he moved here when he was like 12 and he says when he starts getting sleepy, he'll start slipping into his, like without knowing. It's like start sounding a little more Irish when he's getting tired or if he's had a few beers or something. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think mine is pretty stable for now, (laughs) but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my friends will say otherwise. Yeah. So, um, okay, getting into bass, what, what, were some, what was some of the, like, what was the music that really took hold of you and made you realize, like, this was going to be, like, your life? Um, oddly enough, I mean, when I started playing bass, I was, I was listening to black metal and death metal, and that was, like, <laughs> that was my thing. Uh, that and, like, you know, jazz, uh, and that's, that's kind of... Um, uh, that's what I was playing when I decided that I wanted to kind of pursue this full time. Okay, so yeah. were you? So um, you were maybe studying jazz then, and or were there black metal classes at the art institute? No, I mean <laughs> I, I was in bands in Dubai. Okay. So yeah, I just played bass in like metal bands. Oh, um, that's and awesome. it, it was a it was a really tiny scene. You know, it was not really. Uh, I mean, you know, it was very, like, frowned upon as a genre of music, and, you know, we had to, we had to access our music when we traveled, you know, we didn't, like, we didn't have record stores to buy any of this stuff in, so, um, yeah. God, that must have been, like, 
I don't know. It, it's 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 like a double edged sword with this like uh, you know access to everything now with the internet. Like I had it not quite as um, intense, but you know I grew up in a smaller town in the middle of the state, and it was country music radio. That was it, and you know the the nearest record shop was a half hour away. So um, yeah, I just like I. I would I would cherish these pilgrimages to these record shops and oh totally I, yeah and it, to me that some of my favorite memories as a kid was like if we were traveling out of state or to Seattle or something and I got to go to a big record shop and they actually had like more than four punk or ska CDs I was super it was just like elation you know so it's like yeah I would I would do the same but like traveling to the states like once a year so yeah. I would spend the whole year just trying to you know, through through magazines, like these metal magazines, I don't even remember what they're called, but <laughs> I would buy them at the supermarket. Some of them were censored, but, you know, within the censorship, I would kind of find the bands that I was trying to hear and just make a list, compile the list throughout the year, and then once a year when we would travel, I would, you know, try and find those CDs. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, really, yeah, uh, very different than um, the type of access that people have here. Yeah, and I could see some younger younger kids maybe who you know have have never known a world without iTunes and Spotify and YouTube, maybe feeling sorry for us, exp- you know, explaining the, you know our our situations. But like I said, it was like I, I think it. I think I enjoyed music. I, I don't know if it was just because I was younger, um, but it seems like music impacted me emotionally a lot more intensely when I was younger and I think it was because I was paired with these experiences, you know, the smell of even the smell of the, the paper of the CD, you know, like all of that yeah. was like part of it. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, but I would, I would, I would argue that music impacts us emotionally, regardless of how we're consuming it. You know, if it's, oh, if, yeah, it's totally. if it's the right piece of music at the right time, you know, whether we like yeah it's probably the same like kids are probably having similar emotional experiences as we had um, yeah but who knows who knows it's so it's there's so many variables you know well i think that's why maybe cassette tapes um are still like and and, and vinyl is still popular you know because like a lot of people like to have like the experience you know with the with a tangible object for some reason. I don't know, like having, have an artifact, like even though we don't own the music, we do have a very like intense relationship with it sometimes. And I think if sometimes having something like this is almost like a, like a talisman or like some weird, like rune stone or something. I don't know. That's maybe getting a little too. I mean, it also sounds different, you know, like, yeah, like that's records, true. records sound great. Like the dynamic uh-huh. range that they offer, like you can't, you know, I, I think they're like the argument is totally valid. You know, and yeah. it also depends on on what kind of music you're listening to. But totally, you know, certain 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 types of music, like you know, vinyl crushes digital. They're like, there's yeah. no question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so your 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 black metal, your bass. When what's? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to hear like your black metal, your bass. <laughs> yeah. That was a very odd phrase. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that was great. What, so when when do synthesizers come in, and and what's what's that story? How does that happen? Is it gradual or is modular the first thing that you kind of jump into? So I played bass for ten years, roughly. Um, just I played for just different artists, like I was a session player. Okay. Um, so I uh, I started. Um, being asked by artists if I could play key bass. And I was like, I don't, I can't play key bass. I don't have a, like a synth. So eventually I, um, I got a Voyager to like answer those calls um, uh-huh. and quickly realized that, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in, um, I, I wasn't interested in playing bass lines on the Voyager. I just kind of like th- through the Voyager, I discovered the world of like sound design and synthesis. And I, and I've quickly abandoned my initial um, uh, like desire to like play bass lines on a synthesizer. And I okay. was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on the, um, I'm just going to like drone the VCA and just play with the knobs and forget that there's even a keyboard on this thing. Cause that's <laughs> way more fun. Uh huh. So yeah. How much like uh, that must've changed your approach to just your writing immensely. Right. Cause it's, completely different. Well, I wasn't writing. 
I wasn't writing anything. I was just, I was a hired gun. So up until that point, I was just playing other people's music. I was playing the records verbatim and touring their records. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, But you were starting to get maybe your own style of, of how you liked to mess with the synthesis chain. So I guess that's what I mean by writing maybe, or they're not like telling you when to sweep a filter, right? Like, was that kind of like left up to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, and I didn't, I didn't play that many get, you know, like it was only with like one, one band really that I, that I was playing the Voyager live. Um, and I did have quite a bit of leeway, but, um, but yeah, I mean the synthesis chain in a Voyager is pretty fixed. It's pretty like standard subtractive synthesis, hardwired Mm -hmm. chain. Uh, so yeah, other than filter sweeps, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't have an expander at that point. I didn't, uh, I wasn't uh, comfortable with the, with the backside of the Voyager, which is, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, connectivity in that synth, actually. And the Voyager is stereo, FYI. Oh, okay. stere- There's a stereo output, oh, nice. which not a lot of people know, but that's kind of, it's kind of neat for a mono synth, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Did you just do, like, yeah. panning with LFO stuff? Or just yeah, if you do, like, um, you, can, you can route the uh, LFO to, obviously, to the, to the wave shaper, but then you, you can get stereo imaging that way, too. Oh, wow, that sounds Interesting, cool. yeah. You heard it here, folks. Um, so, so was that, that was obviously when you got into synths, um, was it, was it instantly kind of something that you were excited about? Do it, did it speak to you in a different way or a more intense way or like a, just the lateral experience as like everything before with, with, uh, piano and violin and bass? Like, no, it was a total opening into the world of sound, um, and I think I think a lot of people who who get into modular from other instruments have these same experiences and breakthroughs. I I think it's I think it's safe to generalize at this point. I you agree. Know, yeah. What it what it does for us is that it opens up the world of sound, independent of music theory and all this baggage that we spent most of our lives ingesting. So and it and it gives you agency to kind of um, shape the sound from scratch and like. Um, not not focus on harmony and theory and just just focus on on sound itself you know yeah it is i mean you're i think you're gonna be like almost episode 90 maybe episode 90 so i've had congrats thanks so i've had 90 conversations or more you know with with people about this and it's it's crazy to hear like like you just said it's safe to generalize most people have it's like it's almost like a Mad Libs or something. Like, mm-hmm. like, how did you get into synth? You could write like, and then just like take out certain adjectives and nouns along the way, and then like, um, but but it is it's still interesting to me to hear like you know, there's basically like three three different like versions. Like, I played guitar or bass, and then slowly got into it, or I was making mm-hmm. computer music, or I didn't make music at all, and then I found this. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's still inherently interesting to hear the personal aspect of it. So that's why I'm kind of asking, you know, like I, if you remember, like if, how visceral was it? Because I, I, because you're so, like your music's so passionate, and I, and you're so passionate about it clearly, um, that I imagine when you first experienced modular, it was was it like was it like the uh, the the proto humans in 2001 like going up to the monolith and like freaking out <laughs> well yeah I, actually totally yeah i mean it was like it was it was the instrument that i had been waiting for that i that i wanted you know that i didn't even know existed mm-hmm. it it is it's 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 what i needed to liberate myself from um, my musical education up until that point that's that's so funny because I could use that same setup but end the sentence differently. It's what I needed to liberate myself just from kind of my music. I I didn't really know. I don't know much about theory, but I've been playing guitar for almost you know thirty years, and I I just I play the guitar the way that I played guitar. And when I tried to write music, it didn't come out the way that I really. It, it wasn't what I wanted to happen when I was writing like on traditional instruments. Um, and yeah, this is what I needed to to free myself from the habits or the directions that I would naturally go because I kind of had some comfort. And to be honest, I'm starting to play guitar in a totally different way now that I've been doing this for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I've really fell back in love with guitar. So it's been pretty nice. 
Yeah, and I think I think you know it's also like a metaphor for life. You know, not to get too esoteric with it, but you know, just to question certain patterns and habits that we have. And um, yeah, I think for me, it kind of went deeper than just music and sound. So I, I have, a, you know, I'm um, I'm very grateful to to this instrument on on many levels. Yeah, I agree. I've said it probably, you know, a hundred times on this show, but since you brought up like the kind of the deeper side of it, it, I was kind of get just getting into, uh, you know, reading about Tibetan Buddhism when I was getting into modular and it just, the patches remind me of those really intricate sand paintings that the monks would do Mm -hmm. mandalas, you know, they'd spend all this time on this thing Mm -hmm. and then they just sweep it up. You know, and yeah. then you, you patch something yeah, up. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's pull it out. That's a conversation I've I've had with several people, and again, there are these like truisms at this point. That's what they are about this instrument that that we that we are collectively um, noticing. Yeah, and then you talk to somebody like Todd Barton, and he, you know, he says that you know his his music easel is still a one like this wonderful world world of mystery to him and it's like well if this guy's saying that then i'm never going to find the bottom yeah. of this you know i've got a lifetime's journey ahead of me and that's that's exciting i love todd i'm so glad i got to meet him at uh, velocity yeah he's Was that the first he, time I mean, you met todd, him todd is todd is like you know he's he's like the merlin of synthesis like he's <laughs> he's he's the wise elder and he yeah uh-huh. it was it was so great meeting him and um yeah yeah, we're kind of pen pals now, which is so fun. Oh, that's so cool. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to I got to talk to him um on the show and so so we had, you know, been every once in a while corresponding through social media or you know, liking and commenting on stuff um after we talked. But yeah, it was so cool to actually meet him in person uh at Velocity, which I want to get to cuz Velocity was just a crazy crazy thing. Um but before we dive into that, I want to kind of stay on course with like what, where did you get into modular? How, what is that story? And, um, I'd be remiss if we didn't get, uh, kind of your, your telling, I know you've told it a million times, but your telling of modular on the spot, because that, that event series, like it gave birth to so much of what's happening right now without that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this scene would be as vibrant and, and connected as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I want to kind of cover that, and then I'll, and then I have some very specific questions about your set from Velocity because that okay. that blew my mind apart. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun. Um, okay, so let's backtrack. So you, so since so you're asking how I got into Eurorack specifically, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, you know, like playing playing around with the Voyager, and I um, I had some friends at the time that were into synths, and I was like, oh, you know, I just had this breakthrough. Like, you know, it's all about the tone shaping. We don't need these black and white keys. And they're like, oh, you, you should probably check out modular synthesizers. You know, it seems like that would be... Uh, up your alley. So I started, I started doing research and um, was really starting to get interested in this format that I didn't really know much about. And then there happened to be a screening of I Dream of Wires oh, cool. um, in LA, just like right at this moment. It was like the perfect crossover. Um, so I went to the screening. I bought my tickets early. I thought it was going to be sold out, and there were, like, three people there. <laughs> I was like, God, fucking L.A., like, does nobody care about this historical documentary? <laughs> but um, So one of those people was Eric Cheslak, and he was set up in the front of the movie theater with a Eurorack system. And that was my first encounter, like, in person with the systems that I had been, like, researching. Um, so he gave me a demo, and we stayed in touch, and... Um, so he kind of, yeah, like really um, helped kind of launch me into it. Um, uh, and yeah, super, super grateful to him for that. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering how you, how you got into it. And it seems like, so this was what, 2010, 12? Man, I don't, like four years ago, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Because uh, I, I don't know, I feel like there are these moments for somebody getting into it myself like two years ago, there were these moments and these names that you started hearing from people that you talked to and your name kept coming up. 
you know, whoever I was talking to. And that's how I learned. I learned about modular, modular on the spot from the guys in modular on the spot, Seattle, you know, I was just mm-hmm. like, what are these guys doing? And so, yeah, you, you've, you've been like a mainstay in the, uh, in the community. And I think it's because, um, well, you're a talented performer for one. And I think it was, um, you know, you guys starting modular on the spot. Um, and I had, I've had Eric on and he told his side of the story, but if you don't mind, I know you've told the story a million times, but if you could kind of just, just give the outline of how, how that came to be and, and how it became what it is now. Um, I mean, it started, this is probably going to line up with what Eric said, but he, um, Eric is, you know, he's a skateboard photographer. So he'd always travel with a generator for his flashes Mm -hmm. and stuff. So he was on a skate trip once in Arizona and he's like, Hey, you know, why don't you meet me here? I have my generator, just bring your synth and we'll just like set up in the desert and just like, just play, you know, it'll be fun. Like we'll, we'll bring a QSC and a mixer and we'll just plug into the generator. And so we did that. It was super fun. Then we went on a road trip to Portland. We took the generator and we started setting up um, just in different cool spots along the way, like everything from like a forest, this like beautiful kind of mossy forest to this crazy like abandoned shipyard. And it, it was so much fun that we're like, you know, we need to like do this when we get back to LA, just like set up with our friends somewhere, you know, in an interesting space um, and just, you know, bring our sense and just, just, and just play together outside of our studios. Um, and it kind of took off, but it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't intended to like grow beyond just us jamming out with our friends in the park. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy how much it's grown. And I definitely have opinions about it, which, um, you know, we don't have to get into that now. I, I did, I did write an article that's coming out soon about modular on the spot. Okay. So, um, I look forward to that because it definitely like you guys started this thing. Um, but it, I think, you know, just by virtue of a, of a few people maybe ask, I think you, a few people asked you, Hey, can you come do this here? And you guys were like, do it yourself. And then it just kind of, from that point on, just kind of became something outside of your guys's control, maybe a little bit. I mean, you guys definitely kept your, I want this to be, these are the guidelines, um, which I think most everybody from what I hear is tries their best to stick with, which is basically it's got to be outside and it's got to be modular. Um, Which honestly, you know, Eric doesn't agree with this probably, but I don't give a shit about the guidelines anymore. I I mean, it was just like something we did at the time, you know, and maybe that's blasphemous to say, but it's okay to be honest. But it was, you know, it was, it was a, it was a moment in time for me. Modular on the spot was in LA with our friends at this, you know, in this really cool spot on the river. And, um, like that season for me personally has passed. Like it was, it was so much about that place and that time and those friends. Um, and, and it was about starting something new, you know? And so, um, and, and it's amazing that it's grown and it's bringing people joy, but I, I personally am not as connected with it anymore because it was again, so much about, a particular place and time and a particular moment in my life. Um, so it's, it's grown beyond my, um, capacity to remain connected to it in a super direct way. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, well, that just totally put this into context as well. Like for some, for an outsider like me, especially, you know, conducting an interview with you, it's, uh, it's something like I got, I, I can't not ask about it, but you're probably kind of tired of telling the story and you're like, it sounds like, um, it's become something that's so disconnected from the thing that you are not in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just what the way life turned out that you're, it's almost like being asked about, you know, somebody else's album or something like that. No, it's, it's not that I'm tired of talking about it. I'm just, you know, I have mixed feelings about how it's turned out. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm happy that it's still bringing people joy in many states, mm-hmm. but I think it's also a good time to question, okay, why are we um, uh, duplicating a very specific format? You know, like we, we play modular synthesizers, like part of what we do is like breaking the mold and, and configuring our own systems and configuring our own ways of playing and performing. And modular on the spot was, was 
part of that. You know, mm-hmm. it was us developing a new way of playing with our friends, a new um, a new format, a new space. So, um, you know, why not why not open it up to something totally new instead of just kind of copying this? Not copying, but just. See, I'm I'm watching my words because I don't I don't want to hurt feelings. But no, no, I see um, I see exactly. You know, what I'm you're just saying. I'm just trying to be honest with where I'm at with this. Um, but again, you know, if it if it's bringing people together and it's bringing people joy, then 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 that's great. Yeah, it's that's, well in know, in the world of modular. There's definitely like I totally see what you're saying, and I haven't really thought about it like this, but I see what you're saying. There are two sides to this coin. You know, there's. There's the side which everybody talks about as the community side, and it, you know, modular on the spot. Seattle is one of the things that really brought us together. But at the same time, the whole idea behind modular philosophy is, you know, it's so specific and it's so creative. It's for you to find your thing. So I see exactly what you're saying. I will say though, that our our whole modular modular on the spot thing spawned so much by bringing this community together and giving us a hub. Mm-hmm. There are so many other events that different people have fractured off. And now we have this like giant family and modular on the spot is something we do like three years now because of the weather here kind of sucks. We've just yeah. kind of fractured out and it has kind of become, we have found, I mean, it, it, it spawned velocity ultimately. So yeah, hopefully, which is, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, yeah, hopefully people just kind of can keep with that, that sentiment and find new ways of, of breaking out and making it their own. I think it, it yeah. is still very useful as the, the the binding agent maybe in an area where yeah. people don't know how to find each other but um yeah well that's an interesting that's take that's a good I think way people... to put it yeah the binding agent that's totally yeah that's yeah and then and then from there people you know just branch out and um but i i do feel like it somehow grew too fast before anyone was able to explain like, no, wait, it's not just about the format. You know, it's, it's just about being somewhere other than your studio and it's about doing something new and, um, um, yeah, creating like a third space that's not a club and not a studio. And, uh, but also like the hashtag, you know, I mean, I, I, a friend of mine was like, Hey, have you checked the Mott's hashtag recently? I was like, no, I haven't checked it in like, over a year I don't I don't know what's on there and he showed me and I was like I mean there's over 4,000 images hashtagged with Madra on the spot and like a lot of them have nothing to do with it and it's just like <laughs> personal promo of gear and you know so it's it's you know these are all things that you know ought to be looked at as well and questioned like okay this is this has now become a vehicle for self-promotion and marketing and you know is that okay well yeah yeah that's i mean doing what i'm doing i'm always kind of like um you know worrying about you know that that whole side you know the the kind of the seedy underbelly of being a creative and trying to you know do something with it like self-promotion and stuff is like you know, for a guy who has a podcast and is constantly promoting it, I, I have a hard time with, with being like, Hey, check out the thing. Um, I've just kind of accepted it, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately with like this whole hashtag culture and stuff. I'm like, am I going to look back on the way I'm conducting this in five, 10 years and be like, and kind of shudder or, or whatever. So I don't know. I see what you're saying. Um, I think, and I think you hit the nail on the head with it kind of just over the past, you know, couple years it's really really blown up this whole thing um Mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of crazy so um also last thing i'll say about is that like the whole like you know madra on the spot is so much or it was so much about just like the primacy of a direct experience you know like there's no point in having it on instagram and like just um like live streaming the whole thing. I mean, like so much of it for me was about just physically being in an interesting sounding space with close friends. And um, yeah, I think a lot of that's being lost, but I also haven't been to one in a long time. So I don't know what forms it's taken on in different cities. So I can't really, I mean, I, I just know what I've kind of loosely seen on Instagram and I honestly don't follow it on Instagram because it's, that's not what it's about to me. Right. Right. I will say, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe this, this will bring a, bring a smile to your face, but I do want to tell you about like one thing about the Seattle thing is we put it 
in the most beautiful settings that we can think of. Uh, oh, yeah, Gasworks Park. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So my friend Kyle, I think you met Kyle Swisher, yeah. uh, Dark Sparkler. He did one, and he <laughs> actually uh, was working with this dance troupe, um, mm-hmm. and he didn't tell anybody at Mott's that he invited the dance troupe to come. Hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We need that. Yeah, so they were peppered around in the audience and no one knew and they just slowly one by one started going up and standing next to him. And then, you know, by the end of the set, he had, I think he had like five to eight dancers like doing this like somewhat, uh, you know, planned but kind of loose dance to it that's so great yeah (laughs) so something like that was like it was cool to see him bring that fresh aspect to it but um maybe this is uh i don't know everybody listening who's running them maybe maybe kind of think of ways you can subvert the format break it open just fucking break it open why not yeah i think i was something i was thinking about too with one of the reasons um you know modular nights and then eventually velocity happened here is because um, Josh and Bradley wanted to stay true to the modular on- only format, but we realized there were so many people who are semi-modular or not modular at all. We were trying to make the scene bigger. And so something I was thinking of like, with the way the technology is growing and stuff, I don't know if it would be possible to remain completely modular without it becoming really exclusive. But Yeah, and that's... Yeah, I mean, Eric obviously is going to have very different opinions than yeah. I do on this, but I, yeah. I'm all about just ditching the format and moving forward and starting something new, basically. I, I like that. It kind of goes along with the whole, like, here's an album I made. This is my <clears> album <throat> release party. You're not going to hear everything that I'm playing right now. It sounds yeah. nothing like the album. <laughs> like yeah, That's like a joke exactly. that happens, but it's true, you know? Um, yeah. I actually just said that last Friday. I was like, I have a new album out. It sounds nothing like this. I hope you enjoy one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I want to talk about your velocity set because it was, the people listening to the show were tired of hearing me say it, but it was, it was by hands down the, the most enjoyable and crazy. Um, it was, it was my, it's my favorite. I hate to rank things, but if, if somebody is to be like, you know, what were some memorable moments that you've seen live modular? You're your tip top of the list that set everything about it you setting up on the floor everybody it was just like everybody was connected and everybody was talking about it and still talks about it around here you know it was a legendary performance and it was seven you case is that what you're uh yeah it was just the make noise cv bus case how the fuck did you do that the morphogene i mean the shit ton of sd cards you know like let's get real you know i didn't have a single oscillator in my system Mm -hmm. it was all samples that i had spent a lot of time making beforehand okay and how much um how much manipulation of those samples were you doing with effects and cv like how much like if if you were to just play the sample how 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 much different would it like have sounded without the rest of the gear. Like, I, I guess I'm just trying to like, I don't want you to have to tell all your secrets if you don't want to tell there's people no, your like, There's no like, secrets. I mean, this is open format. This is an yeah. open format format. But um, no, I mean, a lot of it was just triggering samples. So I made um, like, for example, the uh, most of the drum stuff, I made a, uh, a little sample library for myself with a, with a Moog Defam. That thing okay. sounds amazing. It's amazing. Uh, but I don't, I don't use the built-in sequencer. It's, it's eight steps. But, um, so I basically made a sample pack of 50 different sounds from the DFAM and edited them and cleaned them up and then loaded them onto a reel on the Morphogene SD card. And I was just triggering through them. Um, same with different chords that I had. A lot of the chord stuff was from a, um, uh, a sample uh, library that I recently made for the Novation Peak, which is not out yet, but um, I just like sampled it before I returned it to Novation, <laughs> and I used that. Um, so there were chords, but it's like yeah, I mean samples that I spent a lot of time kind of crafting beforehand because I wanted to have fun, you know, and just like mm-hmm. trigger through them and then just focus on a on on the performance itself versus like oh shit, where is my LFO? Right, yeah. Well, it was so cool to be like just standing, like everybody's just standing around you, and yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun. It was very like interactive. It felt like everybody was part of it, which you did a really good job with that. Um, 
You were what were you? You were holding some like thing, like a blue with a blue light on it. Am I remembering this right? What the hell was that? Um, that's do you know the company Lom? I think they're they're based out of somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, L O M. Familiar. Okay. So that's an electromagnetic uh, receiver. So okay. I was just uh, I was scanning Instagram actually. So the whole intro was I was just holding this electromagnetic receiver. And it's um, it's like a kit build, so it's like it's it's an easy build. You can build it in like thirty minutes. Um, and I was just I was scanning my iPhone, and I had Instagram open, and I was scrolling through Instagram, but um, uh, kind of processing it through through my modular via this um, electromagnetic receiver. So it's taking the the just the electromagnetic like field around your phone and then just yeah. turning that into what cv or audio or what audio, audio. wow okay. in stereo yeah that thing is great and it's okay. it's kind of frightening how much is transmitted from our phones and laptops and devices even when they're kind of turned off and asleep they still <laughs> emit electromagnetic yeah an electromagnetic field is that from like the maybe i, I know there's like this like um rare type of metal in there or something that's used to keep them from overheating and mm-hmm. it's one of the uh, this this might be outdated information but when i was in college studying um primate conservation you know like oh one wow of the big i things. didn't know you studied that that's rad well yeah I, I i studied primate uh behavior and um and anthropology i actually worked with chimpanzees doing sign language for a while it was pretty crazy um wow. but yeah one of the main causes of uh deforestation in South America, I think, was harf- harvesting this mineral. Or maybe it was in Borneo and Sumatra and it was getting the orangutans. Forgot which what it was. But so I'm just, this was a totally worthless side tangent, but maybe that's something that's... I love a tangent. Emitting. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's really interesting. So so how, did you just have one morphogene or were you rocking a few of them? I had two morphogenes and a phonogene. Okay. So I was like sampling out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I paid my dues with like a giant system and just driving myself crazy playing live and traveling. Like I I wanted to slim it down and just really focus on the performance and not like running the patch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. And, and I, I I have your, I have your make noise records, um, vinyl, and I've you know I've seen some stuff online, but I've I've never seen you live live, so I didn't I wasn't really expecting anything in, as far as what I thought it was going to sound like, but it definitely it definitely surprised me, and it was I mean I hate to use like such a millennial term, but it was like a real banger of a set like great <laughs> it was just like yeah um, <laughs> um, and something that, that my wife and I are, have been quoting you on lately when people ask us about uh, how Velocity was, we're like, well, Banahafar put it best. It was like a weird portal opened up that night. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to kind of, uh, just for the listener who was there and for the people who maybe weren't there but wish they could have been, like, you've played so many different, uh, you know, events probably similar to that and trade shows and everything, like... I don't know. What, how, was that different? Did that seem different? Did that? I, I guess I'm. This seems very egotistical now, even though I didn't have anything to do with doing it. But like, tell us how great Seattle was. Um. <laughs> no, it was great, and you did have a lot to do with it. Everybody, everybody had a lot to do with it. Um, I think it's. It was. Um, I think the portal was created and opened by a combination of things. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, like. Brad did an amazing job, like organizing it, and there were so many other people helping him as well. But um, Substation was a really good venue. Uh, like mm-hmm. you all chose a great venue because you know you had the three, the three different stages, and each room was a different size, and there was space to kind of convene and talk inside, outside of the performance areas. So mm-hmm. the fact that there were these private booths that you could have a conversation with someone in between performances was great. There were two different outdoor areas. Um, the place was, um, I mean, it felt cozy inside. You know, it wasn't this like giant, like, mm-hmm. you know, like Marriott Convention Center bullshit, yeah. Um, yeah. which has definitely happened before yeah. in the synth community. <laughs> but um, it was, 
um, and just the people and their energies. I mean, there was there was kind of a gathering of uh, collective energy in a in a space for a finite period of time, and um, I mean, you could really sense it. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Like I just. I, I just remember, I think I had just met Nathan Moody for the first time, somebody that I'd become friends with because of the show. But like, mm-hmm. I, there were so many people that I'd had on the show and then re- like kind of maintained, you know, as good of a friendship as you can have, you know, through Instagram or whatever. But, you know, mm-hmm. like stayed in contact and whatnot. But then to meet them all at once in this in this setting where everybody is just so excited to be there, it was it was just, yeah, it was awesome. I hope they do it again next year. Um yeah, it and was it was really you know, bravo, bravo Seattle. You yeah. all nailed it. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, all right, I'll stop asking you to tell us how great we are now. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the intent, but I realized as I was asking the question, that's what it sounded like I was doing. No, but it's no, but it's but it's good to it's good to think back and talk about okay, what are what are things that contributed to, you know, yeah. the success of an event? Yeah. yeah, it's been a few months and. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to see kind of just take the pulse on how you feel about it now. Um, and I think, like I said, I know Bradley and Josh will be excited to hear you talk about it. And um, yeah, so so what's up now? What are you up to? You live in, are you, you're on the East Coast, right? Is that where you're living? Uh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I'm more in the South. I mean, Asheville oh, yeah. is, te- North Carolina is technically the East Coast, but it's definitely the South. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I live in Asheville now. It's been, it's been a year. I feel like Mm. I finally arrived. Yeah. Um, it took me, it took me a while to get settled, but, um, I'm super happy living here now. Okay. Um, yeah, I moved from LA a year ago. So, um, I, yeah, I'm doing music full time now, which is, um, that's so cool, which is, which is really good and, um, and challenging in its own way. Um, and so, um, yeah, my current um, project, I guess, like one of the bigger projects that I'm working on is a commission for a local museum here. It's the Black Mountain College Museum. Um, so they have commissioned me to write a piece for an exhibition of theirs next year, which okay. um, is about the women of Black Mountain College. And for those not familiar, Black Mountain College was a liberal arts um, college that was open from, I think, 1937 or 1927 to like 1950-something. So, um, and, it, and it was um, just right outside of Asheville in a town called Black Mountain. So a lot of really famous 20th century artists kind of went through, um, like Robert Rauschenberg, John Cage, Buckminster Fuller, Albert Einstein was on the board, um, Joseph wow. Albers. Uh, David Tudor. I mean, just like so many people, so many just super famous artists of our time um, passed through that college. So this this museum preserves the legacy of the college, and they they have different exhibitions. But um, so yeah, I'm working on a, a on a composition for them. Um, so composing a piece for a percussion quartet. Oh wow! So it's kind okay. of, kind of, kind of convoluted, but yeah, I'm uh-huh. composing a piece for a percussion quartet for their um, 2020 exhibition about the women of Black Mountain College. Wow, that sounds really fascinating. Are so, you going to be one of the drummers? I'm playing my modular. I'm going to be Are playing you, oh, the okay. modular, and they're going to be playing along. We're going to be um, uh, playing the same thing essentially. So I basically. Um, my my inspir- like the inspiration that I've drawn from the college is from their weaving program. So mm-hmm. I um, I studied one of their um, weaving instructors' work. Her name is Annie Albers. So I've started to get into weaving and studying weaving and started weaving. And so my um, my composition centers around weaving. Okay. So um, interesting. I think I remember you telling yeah. telling me that you were getting into weaving. Yeah, it's my new obsession. I'm completely yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I I spend a lot more time thinking of looms than synthesizers. That's for sure. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's totally taken a hold of me. Okay. Well, that sounds really cool. Have you made anything pretty yeah. like substantial? Uh, I'm still, I'm still fumbling my way around the loom, you know, yeah. it, uh, weaving, weaving requires a, a level of focus that 
nothing I've ever done has ever really that. Wow. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. can you like, I guess, uh, brick, like not brick by brick, but kind of like foundation up. Where do you start with a, like a writing a composition like that? That sounds like, uh, yeah, I just I don't know where I would start. Are you starting on the mo- the modular and kind of making the the patterns and then like do like writing that out in musical notation or are you start or vice versa? Like what's that look like? So I started just by doing a lot of research, you know, like it, I've this is my first commission of the scale. Um, I mean, I don't know what scale it's on, but it's like for <laughs> me, I've, I I haven't done a commission like this before. So I just started by um just thinking about the prompt, you know, the prompt was the women of Black Mountain College. So, you know, the synthesizer is definitely the last thing that I brought into all of this. So I just spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, who were the women who went there? um, And what am I connecting to emotionally the most or just viscerally? What do I think is the most kind of interesting um, facet that I can kind of build from. And I gravitated towards weaving. Mm -hmm. So I just started, but I didn't know anything about weaving. So I started by interviewing a lot of weavers. Um, I started weaving myself. So it was many, many months of like just background research and studying the weaving notation. And, um, I mean, I've been working on this for about eight months now and I only bought my synthesizer into the mix like two months ago. Okay. So it's a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of just background research, just a ton of research, which I love to do. So that makes sense too. Cause then you can kind of get it in your DNA, like rather yeah. than like instantly try to create, like get to know it mm-hmm. first. And then hopefully that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so are you still like playing out live or is this just kind of like a, what you're intensely focused on and kind of, um, I, I have shows here and there. Um, you know, I'm trying not to, play out too much now just because it's you know it's a pain in the ass to like unpatch your whole system and repatch for a show yeah uh, yeah um, well i just I don't got this have thing two separate systems yeah nice i see your case it's in your it's, in your super christmas zone uh, <laughs> well and i i just had to like unload my seven because i'm i mean obviously this isn't going to be my live case um, mm-hmm. but yeah, my wife was just like, well, what are you going to do when you play live? I'm like, I'm going to have to just put the stuff that I want in my seven U. And she's like, you're just going to have to switch stuff out constantly. I'm like, that's kind of, that's, just, that's the road that I have chosen. Like, that's yeah. just, like, that's, if you get into this, that's just what you got to do. So yeah, it kind of, that's you the only thing. You have a lot of sliding like nuts a, in your future. I know. Why, why <sighs> did they put sliding nuts in there? Like, and there still, there still isn't a, the right tool. <laughs> and I keep I'm, I keep talking about building the like this tool called the nut job. If somebody else <laughs> wants to build it, please build it because I'm probably never going to do it in reality. But it's uh, yeah, just like a magnetic, um, just uh, just a magnetic tool that fits into the sliding nuts. That is like a screwdriver on one side and like you know a little needle thing on the other. Yeah, that'd be useful. I I haven't had a I haven't had one person convince me yet of a, a good reason for sliding nuts i mean I, i'm mm-hmm. sure it exists but yeah but like they need to invent the tool to go along with them yeah then they won't that, be that so would painful. help please Nearly's somebody out there make the tool <laughs> make it for us so um one more question about that commission because it sounds really fascinating is that going to culminate in in, in uh, a performance or yes. is it something that you're going to okay and are you going to record it and video it for the museum to have like an installation or is it going to be like a one and done type thing? So um, the percussion quartet that is going to be playing it is uh, they're, they're based out of Chicago. They're called Third Coast per- Percussion. They're incredible players and just really, really nice people. Um, so we're, we're going to premiere the piece in Asheville on February 13th. And then oh, cool. the idea is that... Um, it will become part of their touring repertoire throughout the year. So, um, and I'm going to be holding a workshop the day before um, explaining the score because I made a graphic score to go along with it. So I'm going to have like an interactive workshop where I'll just basically explain how, how, I, w- how I generated the score um, and um, invite people to play along 
with the score just to show people like, hey, this is like not a virtuosic piece. This is like a five year old could play this uh-huh. and let's all <laughs> let's all play it. You know, just just to um, um, yeah, like the piece is called Shed and one of the prompts I use is like shed your virtuosity and shed um, like professionalism and all of uh-huh. this. <laughs> so I'm just trying to propose a different uh, approach to composition. Okay. That sounds awesome. You know, um, so every February, that's, that's uh, my birthday's the 9th, so we go somewhere okay. and the topic of conversation in the house lately is where are we going? And it's been for the last few years, it's been, you know, Austin, Asheville, New Orleans, San Francisco, LA. Those are like the one, all the the places that I want to go. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'm going to try and swing for Asheville for my birthday trip. So I could see that. That'd be, that'd be a really cool thing to see. Um, and it'd be warmer probably out there than it is out here. Does it stay warm out there in the winter? Uh, I mean, the weather's pretty mild. Yeah pretty mild here yeah cool so um and then sorry that's oh my, my that's my kitten <laughs> I've, 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 I've tried to keep him contained <laughs> uh. that's right i was talking with alex from wmd the other day yeah. and his dog came barging through and was barking and yeah. stuff um yeah. i think i think the listeners like spotting an animal every once in a while in the background oh definitely yeah i mean he <laughs> he's definitely running the show now <laughs> oh. well well, we're almost yeah. at an hour. Um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't covered that you'd like to, I'd like to give the last few minutes uh, to the guest in case there's something that they wanted to cover or, or maybe talk about more that I moved on to too quickly from? Or? Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about, right? I know. Always. I, I know. <laughs> but um, no, I you know I uh, just want to commend you on your interview style. You know, it's I I did a lot of I, I conducted a lot of interviews for my project with with weavers, and it's interesting when you interview people um, and listen back. It's you know interviewing is not an easy thing, and it definitely takes uh, <laughs> definitely takes work, like learning how to listen and learning how to respond to questions as you're preparing your next question and you yeah um i think you do a great job oh thank you that's that not actually, it's not easy to like actively <laughs> listen and ask at the same time thank you that's i feel like i'm just kind of well for one it's something that i just realized that it it was something i you know needed to learn you know i kind of just rushed into it initially like oh, i know how to talk to people but i'm i'm starting to see you know patterns and things that i could do and it makes me feel really good hearing you say that because lately I've been like, I need to like step it up. So <laughs> it was nice to, to hear that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and congrats on your, what, 90th episode? 90, yeah. What, we're, what, yeah. What? 100 yeah. is going to be in March or something like that. Or no, I don't know. I think, I don't know how to do math. But yeah, thank you. We're, we're om- it'll be two years in late February, which seems crazy to me. It's just flown by. Wow. And one more question for you. If okay. you had to expand your show to something beyond modular, what would you expand it into? Some sort of comedy. Have some sort of comedy. Oh, great. Yes. Yeah. That's why okay. I got into this. I, great. That's, I mean, not modular. I got into, I still almost yeah. primarily listening to comedy podcasts and I'm not a comedian. I try to do like funny Instagram videos and stuff and do like, yeah. I've done a couple goofy things on the show, but I've been, I, it's something I've been racking my brain about for a while is like how could I get some people with who are actual like comedic writers or actual comedians to do something with this modular like, comedy there's so I mean there's so much it's so loaded with comedy really. yeah I, I think I think yeah. there's a lot yeah. there yeah but I mean yeah, yeah. I don't I, I've you know I've been a guitar player bass player and now I'm a you know a synthesis and podcast host it's like at some point I gotta stop trying new things because I can't you know but <laughs> um, oh, I got it. You do the the primate behavior slash modular show, which I mean, come, I mean, come on, there's so think, much. It writes itself. I think That's there's it. an angle there. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, thanks for, for thanks for that. I'm gonna I'm You're gonna welcome. put that Anytime. into the mental Anytime. blender and try yep. to. <laughs> All right. Well, um, is there anything that you want to direct people to check out as far as like music or anything like that online and. Uh, I would say just keep an eye open for uh, Danny Kim, 
uh, has a magazine coming out in February or March called uh, OS, and this is going to be the second edition of that magazine. There's a lot of great con contributors. Um, I think he's just waiting on a couple more people to submit their articles, but um, it's a very beautiful magazine, the one that he made last year. And yeah. So, yeah. Is just, he out of San Francisco? Keep, keep or an eye Bay? open. He, yeah, he's out of the Bay Area. Okay, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, that first issue was gorgeous. Yeah, was, so the second really issue is well coming done. out February, okay. March. Yeah. Very cool. Right on. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I yeah. really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm going to stop Yeah, that's recording. such a cliche thing to say, thanks for having me. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you, really. Yeah. And there it was, Banna Hafar on Podular Modcast. I'm pretty stoked on that. Um, Again, go check out Banna's performance from Velocity on uh, DivKid's YouTube page. And while you're over there, go check out my YouTube page. And um, yeah, this. Okay, so here I just wanna, I just wanna, I had, I had like this moment the other day uh, of just like kind of bewilderment. I don't know if that's the right word, but just kind of, it was a nice moment of awe, and and, and it came out of a weird thing that, that actually kind of bummed me out at first. And uh, I'm going to share this at the end of the episode because I think there's a correlation. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a correlation between everybody who supports me on Patreon and the people who listen to the entire show. Because some people don't listen to intros and outros. I get it. There are some podcasts where I skip the intro. So if you do that, no offense taken, but you didn't hear me say that. Anyways... This is, I just, I had this moment, um, it's weird, I'll send out occasional emails to uh, everybody who supports me on Patreon, just kind of a checkup, hey, how you doing? And what I've noticed is um, it reminds people that they're support. it reminds some people who maybe forgot that they're supporting me on Patreon and then they end up deleting it. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, my goal for to for two, 2020 was to get to 110 and now I'm down to 104 because uh, it's it's weird so when I like solicit for it I remind people so and who knows maybe I'm reminding you right now and you, you're gonna go erase it but um so I was a little bummed out to see that number dropping but at the, then I caught myself and and said you're you're gonna let yourself be bummed out that you still have over a hundred people supporting you financially just because they like what you're doing and, and it's just it's, a, it's just it's so it's such a strange surreal feeling to really think about that so if you're supporting me on patreon thank you so so much um and if and if i'm not holding up my end of the bargain and you're kind of teetering on uh you know whether or not it's worth it for you shoot me an email let's work it out because um, i really want you to get something out of it as well um so yeah this is for you all who listen to the entire show and who support me on Patreon, and just who listen to the entire show. I also want to say thank you for that. I like that. Um, so yeah, thank you. And until next week, 